morning, everyone. For those of you that are new here or joining us online for the first time, my name is Paul Graham, and I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Lakeside. And we just finished a series in Philippians, and uh, we have a couple of weeks to this little thing called Christmas coming up. And so I have a couple of sermons leading into our Christmas Eve service. And uh, it has to do with our poverty and Christ's riches and how he meets us in our poverty. And as I get into it, you'll see that there's a a bigger picture here that we may carry on even into the new year. Um, But let me just pray before we begin. Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We're about to read a lot of it this morning. We need your Holy Spirit to lift the veil from our eyes and to lift the darkness from our hearts so that we can understand spiritual things, and that's only perceived by your Holy Spirit in us. And so I just pray that that would take place this morning, and uh, yeah, and that your word does not go uh, out void and come back and return void, but it comes back profitably. And so, Lord, we send your word out knowing that it's accomplishing your purposes in every life that it encounters. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, there's, a, there's a fairly popular model that's been given to how Christians can express in 30 or 40 seconds how Jesus and the gospel intersected with them personally. It's kind of like, you know, you're in an elevator and it's five floors, you got somebody trapped, and you want to tell them about how Jesus and the gospel changed you. And, and it's a three-sentence testimony, and it might go something like this. Uh, for me. Before I met Jesus, I thought I was wise, and I trusted in my own intellect. But my wisdom was often foolishness. And then I encountered Jesus, and I repented of my foolishness, and he's shown me that true wisdom to live by is in him and his word. That's it. That's the story of my life. Other people might say something like this, before I met Jesus, I did not feel loved. Then I encountered Jesus and his love, and I repented of my self-conceit, and now I am loved by him, and his love sustains me. Or they might say, before I met Jesus, I suffered from constant fear and anxiety, and then I met Jesus and his gospel and came to understand that his care for me and my security is in his grace, and I repented of my lack of faith, and now I trust in him to allow in my life only what he intends and has prepared for me. There's lots of variations, and more than one apply to each of us. And at some level, all of these three-sentence testimonies apply to all of us at some level. But if you pay attention, you'll notice there's a common theme to these testimonies. They all describe a poverty of our experience and that poverty being met by the sufficiency of Jesus. They all follow that pattern. And, And there's lots of variations. I was experiencing a poverty of wisdom and humility, Others were experiencing a poverty of love and relationship, a poverty of peace, a poverty of trust, a poverty of joy, a poverty of opportunity, a poverty of health. We all approach Jesus by recognizing our state of poverty. We're bankrupt in a hundred different ways, and he is rich. Now, that's not just a clever scheme that some evangelists invented. What's important for us to see as we consider the advent or the approach or the meeting of Jesus, the divine encounter in our lives with disordered humanity at Christmas, is that there's an overarching theme from Genesis to Revelation that the redemptive story of God is the story of a people who are utterly impoverished and who are made rich by the approach and the encounter with the Savior. 
In other words, it's very appropriate to understand our human predicament and our own personal predicament as one of impoverishment, of bankruptcy, of lack. And God's offer to us is one of sufficiency and enrichment and reward. And furthermore, if, if we understand this, to go beyond this, if we understand that, and I'll call it a, a theological framework, or the, if we understand this big theological idea of our situation, then there's beautiful implications to how we then live out our lives as believers who imitate Christ. So it's a two-part series. It'll take us into Christmas where we are going to consider our own forms of poverty and Jesus meeting us in that poverty. And then next week, we'll talk about how we approach the impoverished in our world with the richness that we have in the gospel and in Jesus. So first of all, what we need to understand is the reality of our poverty according to Scripture. Now, we trust as Christians, as followers of God, in the perfect word of God to describe for us things that we fail to see, things that it is impossible for us to see until the veil is lifted from our eyes, until we do come from darkness into light, until we do replace truth or lies with truth, right? So we fail to see these things, and in some ways we can't see these things, and so the word of God shows us things that are true about ourselves that we can't see. And so what we want to do is see if this theological framework of our poverty and God's riches is actually found in the Bible. Because if it's not in the Bible, I don't want you to believe it. And I'm not trying to proof text this idea. Rather, I want to do a really brief survey of some of the basic ideas that the Bible repeats and emphasizes about our human condition. And we can start all the way back in Genesis and see the result of the fall of mankind. In Genesis 3, we see uh, God delivering the curse after the fall. And he said to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. In other words, you thought you knew better than me. (laughs) Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." So right off the bat, our predicament is cursed ground, pain, hard labor, thorny ground, sweaty work all your life long. Now you take that situation of Adam and Eve and the rest of humanity and compare it to the Garden of Eden and their life that they had in the garden with God, that sounds like poverty poverty living, doesn't it? Paul refers back to the curse of Adam and Eve in Romans chapter 8 when he says creation was subjected to futility and it groans as though with the pain of childbirth waiting to be set free of corruption. That is not riches and wealth. That that is not abundance. That is a state of poverty for all mankind and all creation. God says specifically of the people of Israel, his own chosen people, through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What, what is the situation that God's people face? What is the situation that God needs to address in his people? They've turned their backs on God, the fountain of living water. Not just a pool, not just a tap, a fountain gushing, shooting into the air. You know, you see those fountains in, in front of those mansions where the, it's shooting in the air. It's a fountain of living water and it's gushing and spraying living water all around. A kind of spiritual water supplied by God. And his people have turned their backs on that fountain, and instead they've carved out their own cistern. They've hewn a hole in a rock to catch rainwater. 
but they're even broken cisterns. They don't even hold the water. What does that sound like? Poverty? You turn your back on a fountain for a dry hole in the rock. That sounds like poverty to me. They are an impoverished people without even a puddle to drink from, to nourish their soul. Another wise leader of Israel, looking back on his people, on the history of Israel, says in Nehemiah 9, But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. (laughs) God set his people free. He offered them riches of freedom and a promised land, and they stiffened their neck. And that sounds a little bit too much like me, actually. They acted presumptuously, arrogantly. They were stubborn. They thought they were wise in their own eyes, as Isaiah says in 521. And they paid no attention to what God was doing among them. They chose a poverty of humility and a poverty of worship, and they reaped a reward of a poverty of freedom. Under their own direction, they returned to slavery and to bondage. They chose poverty when riches were offered them. Slavery sounds like poverty. Bondage and oppression sound like poverty circumstances to me. One other prophet I'll touch on says this in Hosea 7.13, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. What's the poverty they face here as well? A poverty of obedience, a poverty of faithfulness, a poverty of truth. They rebel, they abandon, they lie. They live in rebellion and lies, and they will reap destruction, a poverty of obedience. A poverty of faith leads to a poverty even of existence. Now, sometimes the Bible speaks plainly in terms of our poverty, poverty in terms of food or lands or finances or freedom, but also the Bible just as often speaks metaphorically and illustratively about those things and our greater poverties of a spiritual nature, our poverty of faith and our poverty of obedience and our poverty of worship, our poverty of trust and and a poverty ultimately of our relationship with God. That's what God has to address. We lack completely a relationship with our Creator. That's poverty. Our standing before God is one of impoverishment in every area. This is the theological framework that runs through the Bible account of redemption. If we are not impoverished, then we have nothing that we need to be redeemed from. If we're not bankrupt, we have no need of God's riches. If we're not enslaved, we have no need of freedom. And so God paints for us again and again, over and over again, in the Old Testament and the New, a picture of our poverty so that we can finally recognize our need for His grace. In the last book of the Bible, the disciple John is given words directly from an appearance of the risen Christ. And this is what Jesus says of some of the churches. First, he says to a faithful church, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. That's me. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I died and I came to life. So write write these words from Jesus. I know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not. You see that? Jesus comes to this faithful church and he says, I know about your suffering and I know about your poverty, but remember, you are actually rich. 
I I know about the poverty of peace that you are experiencing in your tribulation. I know about the poverty of reputation that you are experiencing in the slander of these so-called Jews. But you are rich despite the poverty you think you're in. I like theology that comes right from Jesus' mouth. (laughs) You think you're poor? You're experiencing poverty, but I'm here to remind you of your wealth in me. And a little later on, Jesus comes back to this theme again with a church that is disobedient this time. And he says in Revelation 3.14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write this, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Again, he's just reminding people who he is. (laughs) I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either be cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wealth, poverty. First church, the obedient church that Jesus loves, thinks they're poor and Jesus has to remind them, you're actually rich. This church that thinks it's rich is actually poor. And Jesus needs them to open up their eyes and see what is true of their condition. His rebuke to this church is, you think you're rich, but you have failed to understand your poverty. And it is an all-encompassing poverty. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You're wretched, a poverty of joy and peace. You are pitiable, a poverty of reputation and standing. You are poor, a poverty of finances and support. You are blind, a poverty of at least health and likely referring to knowledge as well. You are naked, a poverty of protection and dignity because to be naked is to be ashamed. Jesus says you are poor, you are poor, you are poor, you are poor. But you think you're rich. Because what? Because you have houses? Because you have reputation? because you have friends, because you have your health, you foolish, lukewarm church, you are not rich. And what we have to understand here is, as Jesus lays out this list, we have to understand the many forms of our poverty. The Bible says we're poor, but it's not, like I said, the Bible talks about a broad range of our poverty. As we skim through the Old Testament and consider the words of the mouth of Jesus in Revelation, what I hope we can see is is that our poverty takes so many forms. We all experience poverty to a greater or lesser degree in every single area of our life, and we are afflicted by this poverty in ways that it is hard for us to understand, and it's certainly impossible for us to address by our own power. You have to understand that. That's the starting point of the gospel, is that a bankrupt person cannot pay their own debts. A person who is drowning cannot save themselves. And we have to understand the many forms our poverty takes. To touch on just a few things we've seen in Scripture, we can often experience for ourselves and and regularly meet people around us who are struggling under a poverty of finances and supply, a poverty of relationship, a poverty of love. A poverty of opportunity, a poverty of justice, a poverty of wisdom, a poverty of humility, a poverty of health, a poverty of shelter, a poverty of security. Or they're suffering from a poverty of peace, a poverty of joy, a poverty of dignity, a poverty of identity, a poverty of acceptance, a poverty of worship, a poverty of grace, a poverty of forgiveness. We could go on and on and on. 
we face poverty and we encounter poverty in others in a hundred different ways. Just take a moment. Take a breath. When you look at that list, which of those poverties are you experiencing? I could pick a few. Now pause again. Think about your friends. Think about your family. Think about what's going on in the lives of the people around you right now. What poverty do you see other people experiencing? Anybody here know people that are experiencing a poverty of dignity? Of acceptance? Of wisdom? Of relationship? Of opportunity? And and maybe some of those people that you're thinking of don't even recognize it as poverty. Maybe they're like that Laodicean church. Maybe they think they're rich, or maybe they think they can get by on their own. They don't even realize the poverty they're experiencing. But most people recognize the poverty they're experiencing. It's the thing they're complaining about the most. Maybe you didn't recognize your experience of poverty, even as I put that list up there. Maybe it's like, wow, I just realized. (laughs) Can you identify your experience as poverty? Can you identify who you are and the places of poverty and as need? And it takes humility to admit our poverty. It's hard to say. I have a poverty of wisdom. I have a poverty of justice. It's hard to admit that I have a poverty of acceptance. What about our community? Do we see poverty like this in the people around us? How will we press in and meet that poverty? That's the question. How did God meet it? But before we get to that answer, I just want to take two minutes, and I want to look at a startling effect of our poverty on us spiritually. And I think as a church, we really have to get this deep into our hearts, what comes next. Some years ago, I was, I was reading through my reading plan, and this text in Exodus was singled out for me, so I couldn't just speed through it, as we usually do in the Old Testament narratives, right? You're just reading to get through it, because <laughs> it's long. And I really, because it was in my reading plan, it was just this paragraph, I had to stop and see what was happening, what was going on. Because it was something really profound, I think, and it was being explained, and it's easy to miss. And as you can tell already, this is a hard message, so I don't know that I'll get through this (laughs) intact. So apologies ahead of time. But here it is, and just understand what's going on here. Exodus 6 6 to 9. It seems so innocuous, but you'll see. (laughs) God is saying to Moses, he says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You catch that? 
like one little sentence, and it crushed me. This is heartbreaking. (laughs) Moses is proclaiming the Old Testament gospel. This is the gospel of the people of Israel. This is the good news to them. I'm God, and I will save you. I will redeem you. I will lift your burdens. I'll set you free from slavery. I'll restore my relationship with you. Amen. I'll bring you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And they couldn't even hear the gospel because of their poverty, because of the burden, because of the enslavement. They couldn't even hear it to act on it. Because of the effect of poverty, they could not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The, the physical, the psychological, emotional, spiritual poverty of these people prevented them from hearing and receiving the covenant promise of God. Some people can fail, can fall, sorry, so far into poverty of this world, the burden of their sin and the sins against them, they can be so destitute that they cannot hear the gospel when it's presented to them. And so Moses has to get the people out of slavery before they could even enter into a covenant relationship with God. God, through Moses, had to get them out of their poverty so that they could even hear his voice and hear his covenant news. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But we have to see it here. We have to get this. We are a people who are impoverished in a hundred different ways. And we desperately need God to have an answer for our poverty. God has to meet us in our poverty and lead us out of that poverty or we will never know him because we cannot get out of it by ourselves. And God did. God entered into our poverty that we might be made rich. Did you ever think I was going to get to the Christmas part? (laughs) This is Christmas. God didn't just send a check ahead by mail. God came in person to meet us in our poverty and to be for us the riches of grace, righteousness, mercy, joy, peace, salvation, all that we are bankrupt of. God came and met us in that to rescue us from our poverty so that we could know him, so we could hear the gospel, and it could penetrate through our poverty. That's God's answer to our poverty. John 1, 14 and 16, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We receive, we receive grace upon grace. In our poverty, we receive grace. Galatians 4 says it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We receive from Jesus. We receive in our poverty of relationship, we receive adoption. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says it this way. This is sort of the core verse. It says it all. We touched on it last week. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's saying. We were poor. He's rich. He met us in our poverty so that we can become. We receive, we receive, we we become. 
And then Philippians 4.19, of course, as we just finished off on, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God supplies. We receive, we become, God supplies. The book of Isaiah in the Old Testament is often referred to as the first gospel because it speaks so much about Jesus and his purpose in coming. And Isaiah 42 summarizes the nature of God that will be expressed in Jesus. He says, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. What does that mean? It means God knows our poverty. He knows we are all bruised reeds. He knows we are all smoldering wicks. The flame is almost out, but he will not break us or quench us. Rather, God sent his son to meet us in that poverty of experience. Later on, Isaiah Isaiah speaks a prophecy of the Lord's anointed one, which is what Messiah means. And and, and as Isaiah speaks that prophecy, Jesus himself speaks these words about himself in Luke chapter 4. Listen to the poverty that Jesus intends to meet. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. (laughs) Jesus comes, he sits in the synagogue, and he says, let me tell you about a prophecy that's fulfilled right now today. This is me. This is what I've come to do. Good news for the poor, healing for broken hearts, liberty to those held captives, opening the prisons of those who are bound to declare the favor of the Lord and to comfort the mourners. What's broken your heart? What is it that you mourn and grieve? What what is it that's holding you captive? What feels like a prison to you in your life? What in your past are you chained to, imprisoned and trapped in the spinning anxiety of your mind you cannot escape? What what binds you in fear? What grief over the regrets of the past do you have? How are you bound to relive the resentments of old wounds and old hurts? How are you trapped and imprisoned in isolation and loneliness? Jesus has come to make you rich and to set you free. From all of those things, all of those poverties, all of those imprisonments. Do you believe those gospel truths like that church in Smyrna? Perhaps you believe in the affliction of your circumstances that you are impoverished, but you trust. Do you actually have faith? Do you believe that Jesus says you are rich and you are rich? That you can be rich in Christ Jesus? Do you believe that God supplies every need of yours? Not just some of your needs. God supplies every need of yours. But you say, I have anxiety and I need peace. Can God supply me peace? Yes. He will give you the peace you need. But I have no opportunity, no relationships. Can God give me family and friends? Yes. He will give you what you need in Jesus Christ. I lack dignity. I have a disordered sense of my identity. Can God give me contentment with who I am? Yes, God will give you exactly what you need in your identity and your contentment in Jesus Christ. 
Where we get into trouble is when we say, but I want contentment to come from my circumstances, not Christ. I want my identity to come from inside me, not from Jesus. I want the social networks I choose for myself, not who Jesus has for me. I want riches on my terms, not the riches of Jesus through Jesus. That's when we get into trouble. But God says, recognize your poverty, and I will supply everything you need. I've sent my son to meet you in your poverty, to make you rich. It's worth noting in conclusion how Jesus finishes his counsel to that church in Smyrna who think they're poor. This is how he finishes off what he says to them. I kind of held this back on purpose. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and a a salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I counsel you. Remember, this is Jesus speaking to John. This is Jesus who has repeatedly reintroduced himself for who he is, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who's come back from the dead. And Jesus literally says here, I have some advice for you. I counsel you. I don't know about you. Remember, my, my testimony is I thought I was wise, but discovered I was foolish. So this strikes me. Because when Jesus is giving advice, I'm thinking I should listen. I should listen when Jesus says I've got advice for you. This is better than any advice you can get from your friends. This is better than any advice you can get from a therapist or definitely from Dr. Phil or Oprah. This is the advice of Jesus. This is what he says, take what I'm offering. I counsel you to get from me gold refined by fire so that you can be rich, and I'll give you garments that clothe your nakedness and salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Jesus is just saying to this church in Smyrna, you think you're poor, but you are rich. Just take what I'm offering. It's wealth and it's dignity and it's freedom from guilt and shame. It's a solution for your blindness so that you can see and stop stumbling in your darkness. Behold, look, I'm here at your door knocking. You can hear me. Just come and open the door and I will be with you and you with me. That's Advent right there. That's Jesus saying, I'm right here. I came to your place so you could have me. That's Jesus meeting us in our poverty that we might become rich in him and by him and through him. Jesus came into our world. He's knocking on your door. He wants to enter into your poverty and into your darkness and into your bondage. He wants to give you his salve for your eyes. He wants to bring light and wealth and freedom. If you will turn and answer him, all the riches of Christ are yours. Christ meets us in our poverty. Let's pray. Father God, we've just been going through your word here, like Genesis to Revelation. That was a whirlwind. But, but <laughs> your message is clear. And we have to get this. We are poor. We are impoverished. We are bankrupt. We suffer with a poverty of humility because <laughs> we are rich in arrogance. We, we suffer from a poverty of relationship with you, ultimately. 
We suffer in so many different poverties, poverty of opportunity, poverty of relationship, poverty of love, poverty of peace because we're anxious, poverty of contentment because we're fearful, poverty of joy because we're unhappy. We suffer from all these poverties, (laughs) and, and we try to solve them our problem, but bankrupt people can't pay their own debt. And Father, most of all, I just want us, to, I want us to see our poverty, and I want to see that you have said again and again and again, I am rich, and my riches are yours in Christ Jesus. You, you entered our poverty, just like you had to with those Israelites in Egypt. They were so broken by their poverty. This is what we have to get, Lord. We are so broken by our poverty. Sometimes we can't even hear your good news. So Father, we beg you, meet us in our poverty. And you did. You met them in their poverty. You meet us in your poverty. You met the world in in our poverty. And you met us with the richness of Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you for that. Thank you that this is what Advent means, that Christ became poor, that we might inherit his riches. Father, next week we're going to think about how do we understand what you've told us again and again in the scripture about how Christ has met us in our poverty. How do we then, as Christ's image bearers, meet the poverty of those around us with the riches of the gospel? Because if we don't do it at Christmas, we're never going to do it. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.